Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, come and move in our hearts, our minds, our imaginations by your spirit. Pray that you would make room for your word to take root and for it to flourish in our lives. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Wouldn't you, be, wouldn't you love to be able to sit down with an author of a book that you just read, or your favorite author, your favorite book, and ask them, so what exactly is your book about? What's the key theme of the book? I just finished Beloved by Toni Morrison, and though she isn't with us any longer, I would love to sit down with her and just ask her, so what do you think this book book is really about and have that conversation. And I'm sure that there are lots of college students who would love to be able to sit down with the authors of the books that they're reading and get the author's cliff notes. So what are the key themes of this book that you've written? Because I have to write a book report on it. <laughs> now we have almost that exact interchange this morning with the author of the Bible. In essence, a young lawyer comes to Jesus in order to test him, to hopefully trip him up, and basically asks him, so, what's the greatest commandment? Or, what's this book really about? And Jesus sums up the whole message of the law and the prophets. So grab your Bible or your bulletin or your Bible app and turn to Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. I want us to look at Jesus' answer to the lawyer's question. And while you're doing that, I want to set the context of this interchange with this young rabbinic lawyer and Jesus in the wider context of Matthew's gospel. So chapters 21 through 23 of Matthew's gospel record the final days of Jesus' public ministry. He's at the beginning of this final week that will lead to the cross and lead to the empty tomb. But in these three chapters, Jesus makes pronouncements. There's conflict and challenge that goes on between Jesus and the Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders. And chapter 21 begins with the triumphal entry, the cleansing of the temple, the cursing of the fig tree, and the authority of Jesus being challenged. By what authority do you do these things, Jesus? They will say to him. And then he'll say, well, let me ask you a question. John the Baptist's baptism, was it from God or from men? And they refuse to answer Jesus' question, and so Jesus refuses to answer their question. But then Jesus follows that at the end of chapter 21, beginning of chapter 22, with these three parables of rebuke. The two sons, the tenants, and the wedding feast. And Jesus tells these stories specifically to the religious leaders or about the religious leaders. They follow that up with three attempts to trip Jesus up, to entrap him in his own words. They ask the question about taxes to Caesar, the question about the resurrection, 
whose wife will this woman be who's married seven brothers? And then the one in today's passage about the greatest commandment. Of all of them, probably the easiest one to answer. Jesus then turns the tables. He asks the questioners this question about the son of David. And then chapter 23 has this long list of pronouncing woes against the scribes and the Pharisees, and then ends chapter 23 by lamenting over Jerusalem. And that ends his public ministry. Jesus withdraws from the temple, no longer speaks publicly, is with his disciples, and then finally is arrested, tried, crucified, and rises from the dead. So that's where we are, positioning this question in the context of Jesus' ministry. As I said, of the attempts to entrap Jesus, the one we have today is probably the least tricky. Jesus could have simply said to this young lawyer, listen, we recite the Shema twice a day for a reason. Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is clearly the central command. This is the greatest commandment which is exactly what Jesus does say. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That commandment that was repeated twice a day by the whole Jewish community. This is what we're about. Nobody would have questioned that the command to love God was the greatest. Rabbis like Hillel and others had already declared that to be true. In fact, Rabbi Hillel who was an old man when Jesus was born. There's some speculation, since he lived such a long life, that Jesus and Hillel may have actually met, um, that Hillel may have actually been in the temple when Jesus was 12, and he was having this conversation with these rabbis. These, so who knows whether that actually happened or not. They may have overlapped. But Hillel had used a version of the golden rule that Jesus will use to answer a Gentile inquirer who was ready to convert to Judaism if a rabbi could explain the whole law while he was standing on one foot. The inquirer was standing on one foot. And so the inquirer went to Rabbi Shammai, and Rabbi Shammai cursed him and sent him on his way that the law was too complicated to explain while somebody was standing on one foot. But when he went to Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Hillel said, sure. And so the inquirer stood on one foot, and Rabbi Hillel said, here's the law. Don't do anything to somebody else that you wouldn't want them to do to you. That's the law. Everything else is commentary. Go study it. So already... This idea that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor is already there in the rabbinic tradition. This isn't new to Jesus. In fact, if you look at Luke 10, 25-36, a rabbi comes, a young lawyer, rabbinic lawyer, comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Or how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. How do you read it? 
And this lawyer says to Jesus, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Already in the rabbinic tradition is the answer that Jesus gives. The difference, though, is how Jesus applies that. Because this lawyer who'd asked Jesus, the question comes back to Jesus and says, well, okay, follow-up question, who is my neighbor? It's the same desire for a loophole that is in all of our hearts, right? We read a commandment, we read a teaching of Jesus, and our immediate thought is, okay, how, how do I find the limit of that? How do I find the way out of this or around this? Or how can I fulfill this commandment while at the same time doing whatever I want to do? So exactly who is my neighbor, Jesus? That's when Jesus tells the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he says to this Jew... Here's a definition of neighbor, the Samaritan. It's hard for us to get our mind around how offensive that would have been to the Jewish community. To be told that the model that we're looking at, the one who acts as a neighbor, who loves his neighbor, is not the priest, is not the Levite, but is the Samaritan. Jesus begins to say, let me show you what this command to love your neighbor actually means. For Jesus, the crucible of love is not the people who like us, nor the people we like, nor the people who are like us. The crucible of love are the people who dislike us, who disagree with us, who disgust us, confound us, frustrate us, who persecute us and wound us. That's the real crucible of love for Jesus. And so when Jesus says to love our neighbor, he doesn't mean the small circle of people around us that we like or approve of. He's saying there is no circle. That our neighbor is everybody, without exception. There are no outer boundaries to love for Jesus. And when we look at Jesus's life, we discover that the language of love for Jesus included eating with tax collectors, touching lepers, blessing children, speaking to an outcast Samaritan woman, casting out the demon from a little Syrophoenician girl. Jesus' circle of love included the whole world. So that John would say, for God so loved the world, Jesus' neighbors, everybody, no exceptions. The command to love for Jesus has no outer boundary. It certainly includes our family and friends, but includes everybody else as well. The hard commands of love in the New Testament are commands like accept one another, welcome one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, weep with those who weep, 
Pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless those who persecute you. Everybody is in the circle of those we're called to love. The challenge in today's gospel arises not from the novelty of Jesus identifying these two commands as the greatest. The rabbis had already done that. It arises from Jesus' expectation that we will actually keep the commands in every relationship we have, in every encounter with every person. For example, how do you love the cashier at Walmart, particularly the one who's reading People magazine as you go to check out, who doesn't look you in the eye, who says nothing to you. Now, if you're like me, your first response is to put her outside the circle of people to love because she's being offensive. She's not acknowledging my humanity. Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't draw any of those circles, doesn't give me the option to exclude anybody from the commandment to love. So how do I love the cashier at Walmart who's not acknowledging my presence? Well, one way is to acknowledge hers, to speak to her, to recognize that she's got a job that must be soul-killing, to scan items all day long and to listen to the complaints of customers. So how do I love her? How do I say, you're an important person? How do we love all of the people in our lives? recognizing their humanity, recognizing God's love for them. Every person, every encounter. And in this season of political divisions, of pandemic weariness and hard conversations about racism, love of neighbor is in short supply. But Jesus doesn't say, love your neighbors except for the ones who have a different political ideology than you do. Love your neighbors, except for the folks that you disagree with. Love your neighbors, except there is no except clause in the commandment. The lawyer who asked, who's my neighbor, was looking for that clause. Jesus says, no except clause. Everybody is your neighbor. So if we sat down with Jesus, the author of the Law and the Prophets, and said, so what exactly is your book about? He would say, it's about loving God and loving your neighbor. You know, everybody. And then I imagine that he would smile and wink at us and say, now, go do it. Go love your neighbor. Go love God with all your heart mind, soul, and strength. Now, in this season, All Souls has some specific opportunities to express this love. You can love the women who have 
brought their hurt to you. The women who were hurt by Father Martin. You can listen to them. You can believe them. You can refuse to blame them for your discomfort or for the disruption in the life of this congregation. You can love them. You can love Father Martin. You can forgive him. Reach out to him as the Lord prompts you. Listen to him. Encourage him to reach out for the help and the answers that he needs. You can love the vestry. They've been leading this congregation through an agonizing season of leaving the Diocese of Quincy, going through the discipline of Father Martin. They've been leading during COVID and having to make all of those decisions. You can bless them and thank them for their hard work. You can love the clergy of this congregation, praying for them as they navigate leadership transitions, as they rebuild trust. You can love each other You can love those who are confused, those who are indignant, those who are angry, those who are hurt. You can love each other. And I ask you to love me. Father Martin's discipline had caught the diocese, caught me flat-footed. There were no policies, procedures, personnel in place. And because of that, we've provided inadequate support for those who were hurt by Father Martin, for Father Martin himself, for the vestry, for the clergy. I ask your forgiveness for that. And I ask your prayers for wisdom as the standing committee and I work to make sure that we're better prepared for this kind of thing in the future. And so if you sat down with Jesus and asked, what's your book all about? I'm sure he would look you in the eye and say, it's about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's about loving your neighbor. You know, everyone. Now, go do it. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, give us grace. Give us grace to live into the obedience to those commandments. I pray you would move so powerfully by your spirit in our midst that there would be an outpouring of love for you and for each other. I pray that your spirit would be stirring in our hearts bearing that fruit that only the Spirit can bear. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So Holy Spirit, do the work that you need to do in our hearts so that you can shine through us. Give us grace to love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.